0: Welcome to City Watch on WBAI. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. My co-host, David Brand, is off today. In the wake of the death by cop of George Floyd in Minneapolis, we've witnessed outrage and violence across our country, including here in New York City, where tens of thousands took to the streets this weekend, blocking traffic, setting police vehicles ablaze, and clashing with cops at marches. By early Sunday, Close to 350 people had been arrested, dozens of officers were injured, and nearly 50 police vehicles had been damaged or destroyed, several consumed by fire. The city also saw dozens of stores looted, and all of this is taking place amid the COVID-19 pandemic when large gatherings have been strongly discouraged as we try to eradicate the virus. On City Watch, my co-host David Brand and I focused largely on city issues, but what takes place across our country and across our world is always on our minds, and we are not immune to the frustrations and the anger that touch many of our lives. So on today's show, some of the interviews you'll hear are about city issues, and those interviews took place before the incidents of this weekend. But we did not want to ignore the days of protests and violence, those that might continue, particularly as we see many cities across our country imposing curfews, as we see a president who inflames tensions instead of pacifies, and as the National Guard is being sent to some regions, all following the death of George Floyd. Earlier today, Mayor Bill de Blasio and Police Commissioner Dermot Shea addressed the demonstrations and violence that raged across the city this weekend.
1: We look at the events of the last few days and understand that there are real issues that must be addressed. There are many things I can tell you that I think were done right by the NYPD, especially the level of restraint. But there also were mistakes and there were individual actions that must be fully investigated. And that must lead to accountability. As I've said, we need an independent review of what's happened in these days. I want to commend the restraint that we saw overall from the NYPD. That is crucial to keeping the peace in the city and respecting the right to peacefully protest. That's what the NYPD has done for years. That's what they did yesterday. And to anyone that is out there today that wants to come to New York City or come out of their house and participate in a protest, I said what I've said for the last three days, we support you, we will be there with you, we will work with you, we wanna organize with you, and we're gonna make sure that everyone has the right to peacefully protest and assemble. But we are not gonna tolerate destruction of property, having our officers put into harm's way, or any civilians put into harm's way. I saw some things yesterday that concerned me as I drove around the last two nights, whether it was Brooklyn or Manhattan, where there is an edge. People wanna protest, But I've seen disturbances between protesters. I've seen disturbances between protesters and the general public. So we have to keep the peace.
0: That was Mayor Bill de Blasio and Police Commissioner Dermot Shea. If you have followed the events this weekend on social media or on television, or picked up today's papers, you witnessed much of the chaos took place in Brooklyn, where you saw a police cruiser pushing into a crowd, people hurling objects at law enforcement, I spoke earlier today with Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, a former police officer himself, about his reaction. Thanks for
1: joining me here on WBAI, Mr. Borough President. What does this say when you look at the actions that have taken place over the last few days and in particular this weekend here in New York City and nationally about the mood of our country?
2: It says a lot and clearly the tone of this mood comes from the white house the white house clearly divided the country and we're seeing the byproduct of that division and then when you look at uh, not only the floyd case but really look at what people particularly in poorer immigrant and minority communities have been experiencing all the way up to covid19 to what we saw uh, with several police encounters even to the point of having a the person call the police on a bird watcher. It's the accumulation of all of these issues that you are witnessing are um, being played out right now in, our, in the streets, across America, not only New York, but across America. And I'm glad you mentioned that about
1: Amy Cooper in Central Park because, for me, a few days ago, that was the first thing that I saw that morning, and I was outraged when I saw that. But that's just one glimpse at what many people experience in America right now. How do you describe the, the tone of our country and you know the frustration many people have right now, which is leading them uh, to both peaceful and non-peaceful
2: acts of resistance? It's so important to distinguish between the two. Uh, those peaceful acts we saw even played out on Staten Island and other parts in New Jersey. We actually saw police officers marching with uh, community residents because the, even the officers were, were outraged at what they saw. Uh, good people of the country must unite, and it doesn't matter what uniform you wear what block you're on, uh, we must unite. And I think sometimes... Uh, The desire of that unification is drowned out by the loud, boisterous sounds of those who are really looking for division. If you look here, Atlanta and a few other locales, you will see the righteous concerns of young people of dealing with police abuse is really being almost hijacked by those who really want to bring um, some form of destruction to cities. And if you do an analysis, even the young lady who threw the Molotov cocktail at the police vehicle at the 88 Precinct, she was not from New York. Uh, We found uh, in the city on Eastern Parkway a bunch of Molotov cocktails and gasoline in the car. That vehicle was not registered here in New York City. So we have to be extremely careful that we don't allow professional agitators far right or some that may be at the extreme left, that they don't come in and hijack the real concerns that these young people have and endanger the lives of some of these young people. Uh, we think that we have saw and witnessed changes across America by using the power of our protest, the power of our voice, we've shut down businesses. We did so many things. But it should never be up there about the business of burning police vehicles Uh, destroying um, the homes of people and property. Uh, That is not how we send the message that we're looking for change. You can't use violence to change violence.
1: The police commissioner sent a message of support to the members of his force this morning. How would you describe, though, what you have seen uh, from members of the NYPD
2: over the last few days? That's a great question, and I don't think we could give one analysis to Uh, the actions of the police officers, because I I have witnessed some amazing, courageous police officers uh, standing in the face of uh, so much tension that really a human being cannot really bear. But then I saw and witnessed some reckless behavior, driving over uh, people, continuously using a baton after someone is on the ground. Uh, The goal is to subdue. Uh, You don't want to use excessive force out of your frustration. And that was part of the conversation I shared with the mayor. Uh, Not everyone is meant to be the front-line police officer uh, during a protest of this magnitude or of this nature. Just as every doctor is not an emergency room doctor. Some doctors can't uh, respond under an emergency trauma. Every doctor can't do a wartime doctor to be on the battlefield uh, stitching up wounds. That is the same here. Police are human beings that we recruit from societies, and many of them have some of the frailties that we see in society. I'm sure you know some of your friends that you would never want to be a police officer because of their temperament. So when we saw the style of policing in the city, I, I, I have witnessed when I walk the streets at some of these protests, I have witnessed police officers pull their uh Fellow colleagues back and stop them from being too aggressive. And I've witnessed cases where officers watch their colleagues be aggressive and not pull them back. So the hooray and thank you to those officers who responded under this heavy strain, uh, but let's immediately remove those officers that should not be on the front line of this type of protest of this magnitude. We look to our leaders
1: for hope. At this time, how do you feel the mayor has handled this here in New York City and also our governor? Should the governor be
2: more involved? This this is a, an extremely delicate and difficult situ, situation. And uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, the, the mayor and nor the governor, uh, they have never had to experience something like this. Uh, you know, we've had protests in the city and protests in the state. But we've never had a protest, again, a righteous protest that has been mixed with professional agitators. And we need to be extremely clear to understand we have professional agitators. They know how to make incinerary devices. Uh, They were recruiting, and they had scouts that came to the city beforehand. They recruited their own EMTs uh, in case they got um, armed. They walk around with backpacks with rocks in it to resupply the people on the ground. They have uh, infiltrated into the ranks of the protesters. We've never witnessed that under the, the administration of the mayor and the governor. Uh, they had ne- they never had to experience this before. I've witnessed this before, and so many times as a police officer. And I know it takes a different type of response. And so I believe that they're leaning on their police personnel to give them the best advice on the state police and on the city police. But I think that sometimes even the top ranks of the police personnel, they're going to respond based on their mindset and not based on the mindset of the people who are on the street. So I'm going to continue to give the mayor and the governor as much input as I could possibly give. I hope they listen to some of the experience I have in policing. And also I not only had to police police, protest, I marched in protest. So I know both sides of these issues and I want to use that expertise to save our city and not have our cities go up in flames.
1: And I know we have just about a minute left. One thing that's been going through my mind as I've watched a number of these large gatherings right now that were also amid the COVID-19 pandemic, where we're being advised to stay away from large gatherings. So what goes through your mind as you're seeing these large scale protests while we begin to reopen and while some regions are still seeing
2: infection rates rise I, I am truly concerned because anger is a numbing numbing force when you are anger and full of rage. Uh, you have a tendency to be reckless in your actions and you don't take the necessary precaution. Uh No one is even thinking about uh, six feet of uh, social distancing. Uh, that is concern to me. Uh, many of the young people who are participating in these marches, they're going home to their family members. Some of them are living with elders. Uh, I don't want to see an increased infection. I find it almost impossible that we're not going to see an increase in, in infections of uh, coronavirus uh, after the interaction we've we, we witnessed on the street. I am concerned about that, and I'm also concerned about the mental health. I uh, remember many people have witnessed an increase in mental health illnesses uh, during COVID-19 uh, based on the information that came from my healthcare facilities, and now they're seeing this playing out on their neighborhoods, in their streets, Flatbush Avenue. Uh, Atlantic Avenue walking across the bridge this is traumatic for a lot of people and we must be there uh, the good people of this city must be there to help our neighbors out get through this and I believe we will get through it together if we all come together in the process
1: for president Eric Adams thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI today thank, thank you. you take care
0: Borough President Eric Adams is not alone. I've talked with a number of people today who are angry, who are frustrated. We've been in lockdown for months now, and many people are growing restless and hoping for the region to reopen, but also worried about a relapse of the virus. As we return outdoors, many of us are now going beyond our neighborhoods, and likely we're seeing businesses that we've come to know that are now closed, many for good. My co-host, David Brand, addressed this with the new Small Business Services Commissioner, John Doris. Here's that interview. Well, thank you for having me. You're taking over at a pretty
3: pretty bleak moment for small businesses in New York City right now. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we had Queen's Chamber of Commerce President Tom Gretsch on the show, and he said that because of the coronavirus crisis, Half of Queens' 6,000 restaurants will not open, and I or not reopen. And I imagine that's happening in boroughs and neighborhoods all over the city. We're talking about pretty quintessential businesses that set New York City neighborhoods apart. How will you and Small Business Services save these businesses?
4: Yeah, so uh, yeah, first of all, thanks again for having me. And, and Tom, Tom's a great friend. Um, and they do great work at the Chamber. Um, so a, a few things you know we should think about. Um, one, uh, you know, for our agency, what is our core function? Our core function is, is providing resources and, and services to businesses to help them, you know, start, grow, uh, and, and operate, you know. And so part of what we will continue to do is deepen our work there, um, making sure that, you know, we make businesses uh, uh, survive through this time, uh, help them to, uh, like, reach out to resources that they need. So we connect them to resources, be it, uh, resources to, for capital, resources for grants, resources to get them, uh, sort of realigned and, and thinking differently about, uh, you know, their work and what they're doing and how they adapt in this environment. So I think a lot of that technical assistance and support for businesses to help them sort of adjust and uh, brace themselves really, you know, because this 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 crisis has just shaken a lot of our businesses. So, you know, SBF that's our function, our core function and our mission, really is to help businesses uh, provide the resources and the services that they need to get to where they need to be and to fulfill their, their
3: potential. Tell us about the tension between businesses that want to open for economic and financial reasons but have to stay closed because of public health concerns. How are you seeing that?
4: Yeah, you know, we are hearing that the mayor has, um, you know, opened up his, uh, sector councils. Um, and we, you know, we're hearing and gathering information. Uh, because the one thing you don't want to do is to, uh, start to reopen and start to, you know, put in place certain types of regulatory requirements and, and, and et cetera, uh, without speaking to the folks who will be impacted. And so, you know, we're talking to folks and we're hearing that this is a challenge, right? So folks are ready to go out, businesses are ready to engage, uh, but, you know, they, they are concerned about health and, you know, what does it mean? Um, do we have to provide PPE to our customers? Uh, where do we? How do we even uh, pay for that? Like, where do we get it from? Do we have to provide for our employees? Uh, you know, those types of questions um, are being raised. Uh, that is a true tension and it's a true concern. Uh, but, you know, I think at this time we are thinking through that process, right? And the biggest thing that we can do and the best thing that we can do other than making sure that whatever we come up with as a regulatory framework is not harmful to small businesses. Um, the, the next thing we can do is to make sure that whatever that framework is, that we are very clear about what we're asking businesses to do. And I think that was the second sort of thing that we heard. We want folks to, uh, folks are asking us to be very clear, uh, very, very clear as to what the city will require us to do. And then once we get there, uh, they can, they can then begin to adjust, right? They can plan uh, they can actually set up a course uh with their business. They can make sure that uh, they seek the right type of funding uh they seek out the employees that they need all of that based upon our uh, regulatory changes that we are gonna require, but also that we clearly state that so um, there's true tension there, but I think if we can have their input in the regulatory process and then after that make it very clear what we're asking. So folks can plan and execute, and give themselves the ability to grow.
3: When do you think that might happen? Uh, you know, right
4: now uh, we again we are uh, we are having part of that happening now, right? The discussions are happening as we speak. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, I believe it was uh, I want to say yesterday. It was yesterday. Yes, yesterday we had our, our meeting, our second meeting uh, with that group. Um, We will continue to meet on a weekly basis until we come up with the, you know, the right strategies. This is a, these are a group of uh, businesses and business leaders, small business leaders from across the city. Um, And, you know, the end, the end date uh, for certain, for certain we don't know when full reopening will come and happen, but, you know, as we prepare for that, and I think the mayor has constantly said uh, two things about that one Whenever we reopen, we're going to have to do it in a in a smart way, in a way uh, that is based on science and based on our uh, health healthcare professionals. And then the second part is that we 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 don't want to open and then uh, in a way that will reintroduce what he calls the boomerang effect, right, where we sort of end up right back where we started. So that's why I believe we're you know sort of taking a very careful approach to this, uh, but we are being deliberate about eventually when we get there, what it would actually look like.
3: So we've been seeing on the news and reading about uh, other parts of the country, even right here in Nassau County nearby, where in Suffolk County, where people are, are protesting to reopen the economy and saying, we're out of work, uh, we need to reopen. And there was a, a relatively small gathering at City Hall recently doing the same. So I, I wonder how you think that might play out in New York City. Are you preparing for similar types of demonstrations?
4: I think we, you know, I think the best way for us to, you know, uh, speak to our citizens, our businesses, is to really engage them in understanding, you know, our process and where, uh, where we will end up. You know, a lot of times when folks are aware of sort of the, the, the end goal, where we're trying to end up, where we, you know, when things are clearer to them, uh, you know, I believe folks are, you know, will lend themselves to, to understand understanding a bit better uh, where the city is going. I think the challenge, again, is, is is that, you know, we're in a crisis that we've never seen before. Um, anything like this at this magnitude for this so long of our time, right? It's so it's mm-hmm. sustained. The sustained challenge is what I think a lot of our small businesses are dealing with. And um, there's a level of frustration that comes with that. Um, you know, if you are an entrepreneur, you you're, you, you're, dry, you're, you're driven, right. To like, to do things, you, you're, you're looking for opportunities. You're out there, you're, you're the way we traditionally even uh, do business in the sense of, uh, you know, face-to-face, right? Like a lot of that is, is, is no longer there. We can't shake hands. We can't mm-hmm. go to meetings. We can't, you know, it, it is, it, it's incredibly um, uh, difficult for businesses right now, um, you know, and, and with that challenge. And, and so, we hear it we get it um i think for us it is we have to make sure uh, first and foremost that folks are safe and if, if if we come to the place where you know our health professionals um and authorities uh we have the green light to begin to 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 reengage in the community life like we thought we did that we were able to do before and 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 the processes that we've had before, and, and the way that we speak, and, and, and the way that sorry, the way that we did business, in the sense that there's a personal connection there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I kind of feel like we, we'll be okay.
3: So even even before the coronavirus crisis, small businesses were facing some pretty serious problems, especially related to rising rents and a loss of control uh, when it came to the landlord raising rent and. So, you're talking about what SBS focuses on. And it's a lot of providing resources and helping businesses cut through some of the bureaucratic red tape. But advocates for small businesses say that there's a more fundamental problem, and that's those high rents. Um, there's a proposal before the state legislature right now for good cause eviction for residential tenants. That means a, la- a landlord can't just get rid of a tenant or arbitrarily jack up the rent when the lease expires. Basically, the tenant has. The right of first refusal uh, to remain in place is that something you support? Do you support that type of bill for small businesses?
4: Now, I, I I think at this point, you know, we sort of we definitely understand the challenge with rising rents. Um, I think it's probably the one of the top three things that uh, businesses, uh, particularly in our city, talk about. Uh, the PPP federal program sort of capped it at twenty five percent. Uh, of the loan that you, you can get. So, you know, that's a challenge because, you know, in, in New York City, it's different, right? We, we have our higher rents. And so, um, you know, we've lobbied and, and, and pushed, uh, at the federal level to get, uh, that number changed or be a bit more flexible. So our small businesses can actually, um, get, uh, the resources they need to pay their rents. Um, we also do, you know, provide commercial lease assistance program. Uh, which is, you know, helping our small businesses, um, navigate the legal challenges, um, with, with their landlord. And so help them to figure out how to, uh, have to negotiate, um, sort of a redo of their rent, if I may, or, um, some sort of, uh, arrangement, um, or deferment, if I may, um, or some type of, um, reduction, uh, for this time. And so we have, uh, teams who we are working with. Uh, to help them do that. And so, I mean,
3: that's what SBS did, in, for example, with Nears Tavern, right? The bar, the old, almost 200-year-old bar in Woodhaven, Queens that was about to close.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think we were able to access some of the resources and programs uh, to help and assist that uh, particular facility. Yeah. Um, you know, we, look, I, I think that we have to we have to, I think everybody's got to come to table, right? You know, um, we need all of our New Yorkers to think about how do we get out of this together. And our sort of message to landlords was, hey, you know, look, we, we are literally all in this together. I understand their challenges, but really our small business challenge is also real. And, you know, our program uh, helps business owners engage with their landlords um, to discuss the changes in their lease, right and their obligations, um, rent deferrals, as I mentioned, abatement, reduction, or any other um, challenges that they may have, and and so that's where we are, and you know we're we're looking to to do more of that and deepen that work uh, for our uh, for our uh, businesses, uh, particularly as it pertains to their landlords.
3: So it sounds like the De Blasio administration is still not really ready to consider a bill that would uh, cap rents when, when the, when a lease expires a cap a rent increase or give commercial tenants the right to first refusal on a, on a new lease. I'm not saying that uh, I'm not
4: saying that I'm not saying we would, or we won't. I mean, we don't uh, have a current position uh, on that particular bill uh, that I know of. We can circle back and, and uh, back to you on that, but yeah.
3: Um, well, we just have a few more moments, and I wanted to, you know, hear about what your vision for small businesses is as, you know, we get out of the COVID-19 crisis. What do you see for the landscape for New York City small businesses?
4: Yeah, well, I really appreciate that uh, question. Um, you know, when I came into this role, I think, you know, as I thought about, you know, what exactly uh, this agency should be doing and, and what is it that our small businesses uh, should be, should be doing. And, uh, there's really three core principles in which we will develop and build our strategy on. Um, and one, the first one is around innovation. Um, you know, we found that in this time, uh, those businesses who are able to, uh, be innovative, uh, be able to, uh, you know, do things a bit differently, uh, be creative in their approach and how they run and structure their business. Um, we see that those businesses, uh, you know, are doing better. Um, also, you know, innovation is also on the government side. Like, like We need to, as, as SBS, we need to figure out and are doing that, but we need to do things a bit differently and what we can do, uh, you know, to be a bit more creative. The second principle is around uh, collaboration. Um, you know, normally, in a business setting, you know, it's, it's, it's a little different to, uh, you know, we do things sort of on our own. Entrepreneurs out there just pushing, you know, pushing through. Uh, but we found out in this crisis that we need each other more than ever, right? Um, we have states competing against states with PPE. Uh, we've got our supply chains, uh, being clogged up because, you know, the competition is so stiff. Uh, we can't get, uh, you know, products into the city and out, you know, uh, all that is happening uh, because, you know, the lack of cl- uh, collaboration. And so, you know, how do we get business to collaborate more? How do we get the, gov- the government to really collaborate with small businesses to actually make sure that they're reaching their full potential and being a help to them and not hindering them? And so that's part of it. And then uh, the third real, uh, I think the main, uh, one of the main issues um, is around adaptability. You know, how do we get our businesses to be more flexible? How do we get them not only to innovate, you know, think differently and see how they can do businesses differently, but how do we get them to be adaptable to when times change? So so that you know that, you know, you can sort of plan for the future when you can plan for, you know, uh, look ahead. What do we actually need to get done in order to be successful? If we have a pandemic, if we have a super storm standing, if we have something that? Will bring a business interruption how do how are we planning about to do that, and are we adaptable enough to actually be able to survive that and all this is going to be tied into the two core sort of uh, mission the, of the missions i'm sorry of uh and the two core things that we do as s b s which is providing resources and services so you know, that's the vision, um, and 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 we're building on that, you know, creating innovation, uh, creating, a, 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 you know, collaboration between business and government, uh, better collaboration, and then building adaptable businesses who can survive through anything.
0: That was my co-host, David Brand, speaking with the new SBS Commissioner, John Doris. You've been listening to CityWatch here on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. Today we've been discussing both the demonstrations, peaceful and non-peaceful, in the wake of the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, and the coronavirus pandemic that seems to be easing in our area. On a day like today, when the weather's beautiful, many of us likely ventured outside, or at least you've been itching to do so. But you might not have wanted to travel too far, so likely then stepped into one of our city's parks. Earlier this week, I talked with the new executive director of New Yorkers for Parks, Adam Ganzer. For more than a century, New Yorkers for Parks has advocated for parks and open space for all New Yorkers. You may recognize his name because previously he was the vice president of planning and design for the High Line. And during his 10-year tenure, the High Line became one of the world's most visited and celebrated public parks.
1: Welcome to WBAI. So tell me a little about New Yorkers for Parks.
0: New Yorkers for
1: Parks is uh, just over a hundred years old. It's um, an advocacy organization, and our mission is to ensure that all New Yorkers in all neighborhoods have access to high quality space and beautiful parks and open spaces. Um, We're the only independent nonprofit organization doing this work, and, and we do it through our extensive research, our work with communities, and our partnerships with elected officials and government agencies. And this budget season, you've got a campaign called Play Fair in which you're calling for the city to invest $47 million in the Parks Department budget. What are you calling for and why now? Well, it turns out Playfair is is a multi-year campaign. Our first year was last year, obviously pre-COVID, but really responding to the historically underfunded and underfunding of the Parks Department. Um, The $44 million that we asked for last year was primarily focused on jobs, and the same thing is true this year. Um, We're looking at creating and preserving positions for park rangers, park enforcement, gardeners, et cetera. Um, While it was absolutely relevant last year, it couldn't be more relevant this year with the historic budget cuts that we're looking at uh, in the news and the amount of people that are relying on our parks and open space now um, as the summer approaches. And I'm glad you mentioned that. I live across from a park here in Jackson Heights, and I've seen Uh, Higher than normal usage, particularly as the weather has gotten better. I look back at Memorial Day weekend and it was crowded. Fortunately, I did notice a lot of people uh, respecting social distancing as much as they could. How do you see the city dealing or how is the city dealing with the surge in users of our parks right now? i think it's uh been a real challenge and i i first want to point out that the city is dealing with with crises all across the board so parks are are one of those um and it just turns out that they're one of the more important ones now as so many people are at home and relying on on the parks department i think that the the key uh point now is to really focus on management of our open spaces and trying to open up what hasn't been opened? Uh, really looking at beaches, and then finding alternatives for, uh, especially those residents that live in areas where their only outdoor space was a playground, which has been closed. Uh, I think the, the the closures and the current management has impacted city residents in a in an inequitable way, and we need to find a way to change that. And I'm glad you've mentioned that because. When I look at the rates of coronavirus uh, hitting certain communities disproportionately, uh, that has been a concern that WBAI has, has has talked about. I'm curious if you think the city is prepared uh, for an even bigger increase in the usage of our parks in the days ahead, particularly, you know, now that we're hitting the warmer weather and we're all itching to go outside, a lot of us are getting, uh, I'm forgetting what they're calling it, quarantine fatigue. How How That's do you fair. think the city is prepared for this? I think the city council has really risen to the challenge, and there are some strong voices there that have creative ideas. One of the things that's come out of this is the open streets uh, program, uh, which has been successful in creating additional open spaces for people. Uh, you know, even if we were able to keep all of our parks and open spaces open, the higher demand is going to fly in the face of social distancing. So I think part of the uh, part of the plan needs to include coming up with creative ways to provide additional space to to New York City's residents. Um, I think the beaches should be open. I think swimming should be allowed. One of the things that we've been talking about is um, opening up botanic gardens, opening up golf courses, expanding the open streets plan, Uh, school playgrounds, which have been closed, could be open. There's a lot of alternatives out there, and I think we need to start thinking more creatively, not just for this year, but for years in the future. We're not quite sure what's going to happen coming out of this summer into the fall, and we need to be prepared for that. I'm glad you mentioned that because my next question was about long-term, that in dealing with a lot of the nonprofits I work with right now in my full-time job, they're focused a lot on short-term needs, but they've started planning for long-term. So as you look more long-term, what are some of the needs that you think the city should address or should consider? I think there is a real need for additional park space in New York City. And uh, we have one of the uh, one of the best park systems in the country, but we have not done a lot of park building in the last number of years. Uh, so I think New York coming out of this in a recovery is gonna do what it's always done, which is build. And I think building new parks has to be a part of that, uh, of that long-term plan. And doing it in a way that addresses directly, many of the inequities that we've seen historically in this city and around this country, I think, has to be part of that policy. How has New Yorkers for Parks adapted to the pandemic? Every organization I talk with has done things a little differently. So how have you adapted to this? Well, I this is my third week, so I've come in mid-adaptation, I guess I could say. The, um, we're all obviously working from home. Unlike a lot of other organizations, uh, you know, friends that I have that are in the restaurant business, where it's just full stop, our work has actually uh, gotten a lot more intense for good reason. We are advocating for a lot of the spaces that uh, New York is relying on. Our campaign runs through uh, through the budget season, so we're really reaching out to all of our elected officials and communities to to push for that message. Um, so, aside from working from home and not being able to meet any of uh any of the staff there in person uh work continues and it's um and it's good work and I've been asking every one of my guests this, and you kind of just touched on this based on uh what you said about friends who are in the hospitality industry. How has the pandemic touched you and those around you well i um, I'm very fortunate in that I and my family are both healthy and we're working and I know that that is not the case for a quarter or more of the people of New York City. So I'm I'm very mindful of that and I'm also mindful of how this has impacted uh people disproportionately in this city. Um so I can say that it's uh brought my family closer together. It's brought my appreciation for the city and the people who live here, uh to a different level my appreciation for the parks department and what our parks do for the city to to a whole different level. It's really given me uh, a lot more uh, just general appreciation for for what we have and where we live. And as I get ready to close, I do wanna just go back to something you said, uh, you started only a few weeks ago. Uh, You know, it's been difficult for folks to find work right now. All of our our lives have changed. Why did you want to go to New Yorkers for Parks? What does the organization mean to you? Um, I I think I mentioned at the very beginning. I'm not sure I would have taken this position if not for the pandemic. It has really raised awareness of the parks and open spaces of the city. It's raised awareness on the inequity. Uh, On those parks, we do a great job in certain areas, not a great job in others. There's just an enormous amount of work to be done, and parks and open space are going to be a critical part of our recovery moving forward, and I'm just very thrilled and honored to be a part of that. Where can people go to learn more about New Yorkers for Parks? They can go to our website. They can follow us on LinkedIn, and they can follow us on Twitter.
0: That was Adam Ganser, the new executive director of New Yorkers for Parks. You've been listening to WBAI 99.5 FM City Watch. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. Thank you for tuning in today. Throughout the pandemic, I've talked with people from all walks of life about how the pandemic is affecting them. Those who already were suffering from prior health conditions, for instance, are considered among the most vulnerable and have had to adapt to how they seek medical treatment and guidance. And because we've had to stay apart, the way that organizations are adjusting is to provide services online as best as they can. The Marlene Myers and JCC Manhattan is a great example of that. It has had to shift many of its classes to virtual programming and this week begins a new digital series to support those facing breast cancer. I talked with Caroline Coles, the JCC's Senior Director of Health and Wellness, about how those affected by cancer are coping with this crisis.
1: Welcome to WBAI. So I just gave a brief overview about what the JCC does. Can you talk a little bit more about the range of programming that you provide online and how you've had to shift to more online programming amid the pandemic.
5: Yes, well, like mo- many organizations, the JCC was really a brick-and-mortar business, and our, we foster community by gathering together. So we really didn't have much experience with doing online programming at all. So, we shifted and pivoted like a lot of companies really quickly, and we offer everything from young families, programs for young families, all the way to seniors to people living with parkinson's to people experiencing um, an interruption in their life through cancer. So it is just a vast array of programming, from the health and wellness, which is which is my purview um, to film and uh, cooking and um, art programs. So the whole organization has really shifted to virtual virtual programming now.
1: Broadway's best for breast, breast cancer. How did you come up with
5: this idea? Well, I thought, oh my goodness, Broadway is going to be dark. And my brother-in-law is on Broadway. He's in the show Chicago. And so I was hearing from him how kind of disappointed he was and how hard it was for him not to perform. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, Broadway's dark and we have people living with breast cancer that are at home. There's got to be a way to integrate and and maybe have one side reach out to the other and, and provide a programming that would be both entertaining and educational um, so that performers could, in fact, do something. That they love to do which is perform and also help other people and that those that were sitting at home could be entertained but also educated in a way that they could hear things we're under stress right now so what's happened is that it's hard to take in information when we're under stress so we need to have it in bite-sized chunks and we need to have it in a way that's palatable and so i thought what better way than song and um, also interviews and stories.
1: And what are you hearing about the challenges that people are experiencing, uh, those with breast breast cancer during this pandemic?
5: Well, it's changing minute by minute, right? Because of the situation. Um, At the very beginning, they were at home. And some of them, depending on age, Depending on their diagnosis, depending on where they are in treatment, right? Even right now, some of them are still doing telemedicine. Some of them are staying at home. But there's now that we have sort of crested a little bit more that that peak of COVID-19 in New York City. What's happening is people are venturing out more, and that presents its own challenge. Um, what do I do? How do I stay safe? Uh, and, and for each individual person it's different so they of course need to to consult with their medical professional but i'm seeing the full range of um situations from our participants in our cancer care program some that are really sheltered in place and they're going to be for quite some time until there's a vaccine and others that are further along in their diagnosis and their treatment and they're able to go out outside and carefully wearing masks and all that. Um, so it depends.
2: The
1: first episode is Monday, June 1st. What will take place?
5: Well, in the first episode, we're going to talk about the power of the story. We're going to hear from Mandy um, Gonzalez about, she actually is going through breast cancer treatment right now, and she's on Broadway. She's in Hamilton, and she plays Angelica Schuyler, and I think she's been in that role for about three years. So we're going to hear from her what it was like to receive that diagnosis and then how that affected her Broadway performing, what she did to stay uh, performing and how she managed her ter- treatment and what she's doing right now. And then psychologist Maria Serra, whose specialty is creating stories, hope from stories that are when we're going through really tough and dark times. That's her that's actually just something that she does. She is a positive psychologist and she works a lot. She worked originally, you know, 20 years ago with uh, Dana Farber and, and kids with cancer, and she actually had to deliver that kind of news. So, we're going to talk about what is it like for professionals to deliver that kind of news? What is it like for people in treatment to hear that kind of news? And then, how can we make that narrative a, a heroic or a story of hope?
1: And I should ask, uh, as far as making this series possible, were there any partners or donors, funders?
5: Oh, yes. This whole, uh, our cancer care program, is funded by Breastlink New York. And by, uh, it's sort of the brain uh, child of Dr. Uh, Allison Esterbrook, who will be the medical expert on the show as well. And she'll be there to answer both Mandy's questions and the audience's questions. And right now, like we were talking earlier, what, what is it like for people living with cancer during COVID-19? Well, it's so individual. So we want there to be an opportunity for people to ask their questions from a medical expert. So the JCC Manhattan is sponsoring this and Breastlink, New York. We're very fortunate to have those sponsors. And we're being endorsed by the American Cancer Society, by Sharsheret, and also by the NIA Technique.
1: And over the course of the five uh, events, over the course throughout June, what are some of the topics that you will explore?
5: Well, each each episode we want to take on a different challenge, and we want people to start to get to know Mandy and her journey a little bit more in depth. So, in the second episode, we're going to be interviewing um, Kelly McGonigal, who is a psychologist as well, and her specialty is understanding what the brain does under stress. And her recent book, The Joy of Movement, talks about how movement, not so much exercise, although that that's important too, but movement in general can help us shift our mindset and also help us uh, alleviate depression and help us motivate us, especially when we're going through a healing journey. And she's going to talk, she's going to do a fun segment about how to use movement and and find your power song, how to use music as well, and what happens in the brain with music. And, of course, we're going to have some of Mandy's Broadway friends singing um, as well duets with her. So it should be really fun.
1: And I I should ask, uh, because we've only got just about a minute or two left, by the end of the series, what do you hope to achieve?
5: What I hope is that people will understand and have some knowledge of the power of their own body. To heal, The body is genetically coded to, to find homeostasis and to heal itself. And what I want people to know is that they can do something to aid their healing, right? And that they can also um, have a good time and they can see somebody and meet people that are going through this journey and see how they're doing it and, and get some inspiration. I guess it's really a series about hope.
1: And as I wrap up, how can people learn more about the series? Where should they
5: go? Well, jccmanhattan.org is the 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 hub to find all the information about all of our programs. And then you know, forward slash cancer dash that care is or dash care is how to or just search on the website for cancer care and you'll find it. It's easy to find.
1: Caroline Cole, thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI.
5: Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. I hope everyone will join us every Monday in June at 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time
0: you've been listening to City Watch here on WBAI. I want to thank you for listening today. I realize that this is a very difficult period for many of us, and I hope that WBAI has been able to bring you even a modicum of comfort and hope during these troubling times. I thank today's guests, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, SBS Commissioner John Doris. New Yorkers for Parks Executive Director Adam Ganser, and the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan Senior Director of Health and Wellness Caroline Coles, and of course, my co-host David Brandt. I'll be back this Thursday at five o'clock with Driving Forces, and next Sunday, David takes over here at City Watch. If you missed any part of this show, just go to WBAI's website at WBAI.org, click on Programs, and then Archives. I wish you the best of health in the coming period. Thank you again for tuning into WBAI.
3: listening to WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. This is New York in Crisis, WBAI's coronavirus diary.
6: My name is David German. I live in Watermill, New York. My wife, she um, has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's got to be about six years now. I am the main caregiver. I have not been going to the city. Our business is closed. So it's really a 24-hour-a-day I am taking care of my wife. Everything from bathrooms to feeding and every minute that she is awake, you have to be very alert. Things can go wrong so fast with Alzheimer's. It's trying to keep things as normal as they ever were before. At the stage uh, Linda is at now, she does not understand the uh, virus. So we've had this conversation many times, but she doesn't understand why we can't see other people. On the flip side of that, she's happy that I am here nonstop. Whenever um, I have to go to the city for work, it's disruptive uh, for Linda. That, I, that I'm not going into the city now is been a positive for her. We hold hands all the time, and I think that's a, a very important thing. The physical contact, the smiling, the never, for the caretaker, never get upset in front of the person with Alzheimer's. If you get mad and and raise your voice to the Alzheimer's patient, they will not remember it, but you as a caregiver will never forget it. It will always be on your mind. It, it is so devastating, I cry sometimes, so devastating to the family, to everyone involved, don't ever try to do this yourself. Get a hold of the Alzheimer's Foundation. Use their helpline. Speak to people. Get all your friends. We. This this makes me cry. Our friends have been phenomenal. They, you know, they. Right now they can't come to the house, but they're always there. Our daughter's wonderful. She lives um, with her boyfriend in New Orleans, but comes up as much as possible. We FaceTime every day. Get your friends, your family. Get, and I always say, you know, even if you've got to make people feel guilty that they didn't call, go ahead and do that. Keep everybody involved because if you try to do it yourself, you're not going to make it. I think the thing, any, any family involved in this, the only thing you have is hope. I'd say we're going through it together. And um, she really appreciates it, at least... A few times a day, she'll, she'll give me a big smile or say, I love you. She won't remember my name, but she'll, I'll do something. You know, we're holding hands. Um, I'm helping her go to the bathroom or whatever, and um, she'll say, I love you. That's a home run for me. That's enough. Just that, that reward. My wife just raised her hand because I think she wants to talk to me. Just say hello, just hello, Linda? I don't know anything. Okay, just say hello, that's all. Who is it? It's it's a radio interview. Okay. Okay, that's that was Linda.
3: <laughs> David German lives on Long Island. Stay tuned for more installments of New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary, and for the latest news and updates on COVID-19.